When we examine medieval manuscripts that feature the tefillah of Aleinu L'Shabeach, we uncover intriguing instances of censorship within this ancient prayer. But what motivated these textual alterations? And can they be linked to a specific historical event? Delving into this subject unveils a significant episode from the year 1390, shedding light on the numerous amendments made to the text. These changes continue to influence various menhagim to the present day, and as we will see, in a curious way, connects to the day of Tess Teves, the ninth of Teves. We are looking here at a machzer that comes from Ashkenaz, that was copied, that was written, that was transcribed in the year 1258. Today this machzer is at the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And we're looking at the page of Rosh Hashanah Davenin, and where in Musif we have the tefillah of Aleinu L'Shabeach. Our interest today is not uh, the tefillah of Rosh Hashanah per se. We're interested in Aleinu because we recite Aleinu every day. But the story that we're going to tell tonight is going to surface by looking at these passages in these machzorim. And what we immediately notice when we look at this particular passage is that the text of Aleinu, something is missing. Because after it says, There is an entire uh, full line that appears to have words that were once there and it's erased. And it then continues to say, There were once words here and those words were removed. That's one anomaly that we are going to want to look at today. The second thing is that further down in Aleinu, when it says, while all of the words have nikud, the words do not have nikud, and next to it there's a marginal note, and it says in this machzer that instead of saying, another option is to say, now we know that originally, it definitely was Umayshav Yakaray, so there was some sort of movement to change it to Vichisech Vaidai, and that's the second anomaly that we're going to want to look at today and understand why and when did this happen. This is not only a story of this one Machser, known as the Michael Machser, and all of the links uh, to these Machserim are going to be pre- presented in the show's notes. It's not only this Machser that has uh, this, the, these anomalies. We find this in a number of machzorim that come from the 13th and 14th centuries in Ashkenaz that have the same idea. So here, this is known as the Esslingen Machzer. It's dated to the year 1290. Today it's at the JTS Library in New York. Here too, in Rosh Hashanah Davening, you're clearly able to see how in the Aleinu L'Shabeach, after the words Kechal HaMoinam, the next words are taken out. And so we have a empty line with only the remnants of the older words, and if we strain our eyes hard enough, we'll actually be able to make out and read what those words used to be. A third example, this is known as the tripartite machzer. It's also in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. This is a little later. It's dated around the year 1320. And here, what we have is two layers. First, we could tell that the words were erased, but then we could tell that a later hand put them back in on top of the erasure. And here we read the words that were erased and then put back in. That they are bowing to vanity and to nothingness, and uh, they pray to a God who does not rescue. These are the words that were removed, and in this particular case, they were put back in. Here too, in this Machser, instead of the words, originally, the words were put in, and only on the side, the original is presented in the marginal note. So it's the same uh, two anomalies that are presented in this particular machser. These words, and then number one, and number two, these words are based on two psukim in Yeshaya. In Yeshaya Perek Lamid, it talks about Mitzrayim, and it says, 
the Egyptians' help in vain and to no purpose. So Aleinu is borrowing those two words of Hevel Varik. And then in Yeshayo, Perak Memhei, there's another Pasik that speaks about the pagans, Umispalalim El El Lo Yeshia, that they pray to a God who does not save. And so Aleinu, this line in Aleinu, is based on these two psukim. When we look at another sample of a machzer, this is a machzer today at the University of Pennsylvania. It's known as a machzer from Rhineland, late 13th, early 14th century. Here the erasure is more comprehensive. The text just reads, And then from the word, all of this was removed. Interestingly, in this particular uh, machzer, this uh, erasure occurs in the Rosh Hashanah davening, where Aleinu is in the Rosh Hashanah davening. But then if you flip and go down to the Yom Kippur davening, here you actually see that it remains uh, without any change. So why would it be removed in uh, the earlier pages of the Machser, but retained in the later pages of the Machser, uh, my best bet is that it is sloppiness uh, more than anything else. And so now we have to ask the question. And the question is, why were these uh, lines removed? Now intuitively, we, we think we know the answer to that. Well, they're kind of offensive, aren't they? It's like they're, they're not saying nice things about the Gentiles, and Jews are always looking over their shoulder, and so it makes a lot of sense that either Jews removed it on their own, uh, or that they were told by uh, their non-Jewish uh, hosts to, uh, to remove them. Uh, and uh, that's very reasonable. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, hold on. They were written, in all these machzorim, the common denominator is that they were originally written there. So in other words, in the 1200s and in the early 1300s, there wasn't a problem, which is why all these scribes across the board had no problem putting the text in, and then all of a sudden they get removed. Uh, if we're worried about the offensive nature of the text, that was just as offensive in the year 1290 or the year 1310 as it would be later. So there must be some other uh, uh, missing information here that we need to bring into the narrative that will explain why it was okay earlier on, but came problematic later on. Um, and that's what we're in search for uh, today. Uh, also, uh, let's not forget the second issue of why uh, the words Umoyshav Yekarai were replaced uh, with the words So let's hold on to that. There was a Rav who lived in the 1400s in Prague, and his name was Rabyamtif Lipman of Milhausen. And he is known as the author of a sefer that was printed in 1644 in Altdorf, and this Sefer is called Sefer Nitzachai. Uh, obviously it was composed sometime in the late 1400s or something like that. Uh, the, uh, excuse me, in the early uh, 1400s. The assumption is he passed away around 1440, so give or take that the Sefer was written in the first half of the 15th uh, century. What is the nature of the Sefer? It's a commentary that goes through the entire Tanakh, but he has a very, very specific and narrow agenda. He's interested in psukim, where Christians interpreted in a Christological way, and he wants to respond to those interpretations. And that's the only area that he's interested in. Uh, so this fits into the genre of uh, polemical works against Christianity. There's a number of these that Jews produced during the Middle Ages. This is unique in the fact that it runs al-seder ha-tanach. But then at the end, he has an essay and uh, a manuscript of this uh, work of Sefer Anitzachin exists today in the Bavarian State Library, and I'm reading now from this manuscript, and it has a date of when it was copied. So it was copied in the year 1460, so it brings us really close to the time of the author. And uh, at the end of this book, after he finishes Divrei Ayamim, he then uh, writes the following. Al hamu'ura hara asher lanu ira. We had a terrible incident that occurred to us. So in Elafashishi, it is 150 years. If you're keeping score at home, that is the year 1390, and the math equals August 6th. So in the summer of 1390, uh, a terrible incident happened, and he describes this as Shenispasnu Liminus. Exact way of interpreting these two words, I don't know, but there was some sort of a Christian allegation against Jews that occurs at this time uh, in somewhere in Central Europe in the year 1390 in the summer. 
And during this event, and an apikoiris, that means a Jew who converted, Pesach HaMeshumad. He is Nemos Pesach, and he's a Meshumad, he converted to Christianity, and now Hanikra Peter, he took the name Peter. And during this event, he libeled us. And Ulahafiz Das Haumais, and in order to soothe the Gentiles, Hutzrachti Lahashivlaya needed to respond. So in other words, accusations were made by this Pesach, who became Peter. Accusations were, met, uh, were leveled against the Jewish community, and I, as the rabbi, had to defend the Jewish community. And he writes as follows Omar, this Pesach said, you say the words that they bow to vanity. And this has the gematria of Yeshu. Varik. So Varik is gematria 316. Kof is 100, Resh is 200, Vav is 6, Yud is 10, Varik 316, Yeshu. Yud, Shin, Vav, 316. When you guys say, Aleinu L'Shabeach, and you say the words, Lahevel Varik, you are having in mind the Christian founder. Va'atam Oimrim, and then you further say about him, Omespalalim L'lo Yoishia. That's a little bit of a variation that we saw before. Before we saw that the words were L'lo Yoishia. Here, it's Mespalalim L'lo Yoishia. We'll come back to that later. But the point of the accusation here is that you are saying that he's a God that who, who cannot help. Furthermore, you say you talk about removing idols and that you must be talking about uh, uh, Christian sites and Christian holy objects. And so this is the accusation that Pesach HaMeshumud makes against the Jewish community. This is obviously very, very problematic because Jews living in Christian Europe are allowed to live there, but one of the conditions is no blasphemies. And this would probably fall into the category of a blasphemy, and so the Jewish community is in jeopardy right now in the summer of 1390. So he continues writing, Rabbi Yom Tov Milhausen, in his Sefer HaNitzachan, and writes as follows, Va'an va'oymer, and I responded, Don't you agree that you guys have uh, statues in your churches and you bow, bow to them? Uh, and you guys who are smart, you know that they're not real. They're just there to represent something. And you know that there, there isn't anything uh, inherently sacred in these images. But don't you also agree that you have ignoramus people who don't realize this? And they think that these are actually divine beings. Is that not the case? And the inquisitors, we'll call them the Christian inquisitors, had to agree that indeed this is an internal Catholic problem where at Christian sites there are statues representing saints or whatever it is, and uh, people who aren't sophisticated and knowledgeable about Christian doctrine assume that these are uh, divine entities themselves, which is not true to, to Catholic uh, theology. So they had to concede to that point. Once they conceded to the point, continues in Abiyamtif and says as follows, Amartilo, so I said, so you have a problem with us saying Aleinu? You are essentially agreeing to the tenets of Aleinu. Why? Because we're not talking about all non-Jews. We don't say We say The people of the land. The families of, of, of the earth. What is, why are we stressing land and earth? Because we're talking about here is not silly city dwellers who are part of the guilds and are more sophisticated, the burghers, the citizens. No. We're talking about the villagers. Who they're engaged in agriculture and they have a reputation of being simple people. They don't know the true Catholic beliefs. They think that these entities are divine. This is terrible. And that's what Yeshaya meant when he said, This is what he means. People who take uh, statues and, and, and attribute divinity to them, obviously statues can, can be no help to anybody, and, and you're agreeing that this is a problem within Christianity, and that's all we're referring to, and that's why we talk about Mishpah Adama. we're talking about the simple people, the same people you have a problem with. 
and 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 by the and where did this problem come from? Because you guys have images, and that's why it would have been much better if you didn't have these images. And the Torah Taka says in the Ten Commandments, and you Christians accept the Ten Commandments, and it says and so therefore we're doing the right thing, the way it says in the Torah. We are essentially disparaging those people uh, who take these statues seriously. You guys agree with this problem, and uh, so you shouldn't really have a problem with us saying Aleinu Lishabach. So that's in terms of the general theme of Aleinu. Uh, Rabbi Yamtif uh, feels that he's given an answer that uh, uh, solved the problem. There is one issue that remains, and that is part of the accusation was that Jews have in mind Yeshu when they say Lahevo Varik because Arik Varik is Gematria Yeshu. So now he needs to respond to that. What's he going to say about that? So I said, You guys don't call your God Yeshu. In your language, using the German here, he's called Yezush. And in Hebrew, Nikra Yeshua with an ayin. And once you add the ayin, you mess up the whole gematria. So if we wanted to have him in mind, it would have been with an ayin. And uh, so the gematria doesn't work. And clearly we're talking about someone else. And yes, maybe um, uh, 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 there's no way what you're saying is true. Because uh, there's no way we have him in mind because the gematria doesn't uh, work out. And then he says, in fact, any time you find in Judaism where uh, the Gemara condemns a man named Yeshu Yin Shud Vav, you should know that it's not your guy because it is a different name. In Hebrew, it would be Yeshu Ah. And so this is why uh, you should uh, not be worried uh, at all about this. Now, he, he's not entirely clear here. Does he concede that Jews have Yud Shin Vav in mind? He, do, he doesn't really address that. But he just says, it's, it's not, we don't have in mind your guy. That's the main uh, point of his uh, argument over here. And as far as we can tell, he's writing this down. Presumably, he wouldn't have written this down in this essay if it wouldn't have worked out. So we have to assume that the end of the story here was a positive one, that the Jewish community was saved, which is why Rabbi Yom Tif put it in his work, wanting that other Jews and future generations should be able to be aware uh, of, uh, uh, of this and be able to use his arguments for their benefit uh, as well. Uh, so now we need to ask uh, the simple question. And the simple question is, who is right? Uh, was Pesach the Meshumud uh, right? Uh, or was this a false accusation? Um, so uh, Rabbi uh, uh, Yamtiv told us that it was a false accusation, that Jews did not have uh, Yeshu Hanoitzri uh, in mind uh, at the time. Um, but the question is, was he just defending Yiddishkeit in order to allow Judaism to survive? Or, or, or is this absolutely true? And uh, if we look at the Koran Rosh Hashanah Machzer on page 595, we'll see that Rabbi Sachs addresses this issue and he writes as follows. Uh, during, the Middle Ages, during the Middle Ages, a Jew who had converted to Christianity cited this verse to make the false claim that Jews were criticizing or even ridiculing Christianity. In vain it was pointed out that the offending verse was taken from two verses in the book of Yeshaya. Yeshaya lived at least seven centuries before the birth of Christianity and therefore could not have possibly had it in mind. So here Rabbi Sachs is giving an argument for why it must have been a false claim. He says that it was pointed out. I'm not sure when this was pointed out. Rabbi Yomtev Milhausen did not, I did not see this uh, in Rabbi Yomtev's uh, Sefer on Itzachen, but maybe others uh, said it, that how could it be refer, referring to Christianity if it comes from two psukim in Yeshaya, and uh, those psukim in Yeshaya are long before anyone was thinking about Christians, and so therefore, by definition, it needs to be a false claim. Uh, but what we want to do today is we want to take a closer look at uh, this uh, particular uh, story. But either way, what we're able to do now is we're able to open, uh, address the opening question. And we asked, how come it was okay in the 1200s and the 1300s to have the Aleinu Lishabeach and all its glory with no censorship? And why is it apparent that at a certain point later it had to be removed? Well, now we have a running theory. The running theory is that in 1390 in Prague there was an issue. This garnered a lot of attention. And we could understand that behemshech to this event in the late 1300s, sometime in the 1400s, or in the late 1300s, the early 1400s, it was deemed to be the wise course of action to remove these words uh, from the Aleinu. Either Jews were told they need to do this, or they chose to do it on their own, or both of them happened. Uh, and that explains why many of these Aleinu uh, Lishabeas underwent that censorship at uh, that time. 
But at this point, we still have not answered the question about Moshe of Yukari, and we will come back to that later. But the main question we need to think about now is, was this claim by Pesach, sometimes Jews who converted uh, said very uh, outrageous things about the Jews, and they were not true. Uh, so was this a true claim or a false claim? So let's turn to the Sefer that's called the Kolboy. The Kolboy, it's not entirely clear who authored it. The general assumption today is that it was written by one of the Shoinim, of Aaron Hakoyen of uh, Lunil in Provence. Uh, late 13th uh, century, early 14th uh, century is when he writes uh, this uh, halachic work. The first print, it is assumed, is around 1490 in Italy. And we're looking at the Tfus Rishon, uh, where he discusses Aleinu Le Shabeach, and all of the other prints uh, basically follow this same model as well. What does it say? Aleinu Le Shabeach. The gematria of the word Aleinu is Ume Umad, 166. In other words... We're supposed to stand when we recite Aleinu L'Shabach, which is a universal custom, and uh, that is hinted in the word Aleinu. Then it says like this, and here is where it's going to become very enigmatic. Lahevel Varik, those two words. So about the word Varik, bigematria. It has a gematria. What's a gematria? There's no material here. Then it goes further. Le'el lo yoishia. Remember the Pasuk, Le'el, V'shem ishtachem lahevel Varik, uh, so le'eloi, gematria. Those two words, le'eloi, again, gematria. What's the gematria? No information here. And some people say that you should say lehevel varik, lehevel vilarik is what it needs to, there's an assumption that there's a typo here. In other words, earlier it was lehevel varik. Now we're telling you lehevel vilarik with a lamid, sheyesh bahem, big gematria that has a gematria. What's a gematria? Nothing. This is what we have in the Sefer of the Koboi, Simen, Kuf, Chaf, Beis. What is going on in this particular Koboi? And when we see this, we automatically say, hold on, maybe what uh, Pesach, the Mishumud, maybe what he said is not so crazy, because here we actually have a passage from this general region and general time period, and where it does seem that there are gematrias, and the author isn't telling them what they are, so there is... Uh, if this is probably something, if not a smoking gun, this is very close to a smoking gun. But we need to uh, continue with our journey. I should just point out that in the most recent edition of the Cowboy, published by Feldheim, uh, which is in seven or eight volumes or something like that. Uh, so volume seven, we're looking at here, printed in Tafshin Samach Beis, they printed exactly like this, and they write a footnote, they say, we don't know what this uh, means. Now, is that willful ignorance or is it something else? That's something that we're going to have to figure out as we move along. Our story now is going to take us back to another Ksavyad, another Machser, another appearance of Aleinu L'Shabeach in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Davening. And this is from what is known as the Worms Machser. It's a two-volume Machser that for many years was in the Jewish Kehila in Worms. It survived the Holocaust, and today it's in the National Library of Israel. Anyway, when we look at this Worms Machser, and we go to the Rosh Hashanah Musaf Davening, we find Aleinu over here, and very interestingly, for reasons I don't understand fully, the text was never erased. And here it says, without any censorship. Uh, however, there's two interesting things to note about this. Number one, we find marginal writing in the, uh, not marginal lining, but uh, writing in between the lines uh, of uh, what looks like trap, like Tlisha Gedoyla and Tlisha Katana. And we find this actually throughout the Machser. Uh, and it seems that this was the Chazin uh, keeping notes for himself about how to sing the Nagunim. And uh, indeed throughout there are notes that, that would say the Chazin should wait here, uh, clearly talking to the Chazin. And um, this fits with the general picture because we know that this Machser belonged to the Kehillah. And we also know that there was a tradition in Ashkenaz, the Ramah cites in Shulchan Aruch, in the, and this comes from the Maril, and really the Maril himself uh, takes this from the Rekeach, that the Chazin, Roshani, and Kippur should dafke use a communal master because those were written Lishma, whereas uh, an individual master loved dafke, and therefore there's an Indian in using the communal master. We know that this was a communal master. And uh, so when you see these writings in it, it would seem that the Chazan was using this to guide himself along in terms of how to sing the Nigan. So that's one thing we notice uh, in this Machser. The other thing we notice over here is that although I mentioned a second ago that there isn't a 
there isn't an erasure, there isn't a censorship, but there is a slight erasure. And that is, it once said over here, umispalalim el el the way they all did originally, and that was changed to umispalalim lil Very, very slight uh, difference. Now, I'll talk about it more later on, but the general censorship did not happen over here. So this is what happens in the Rosh Hashanah Mosef. Now let's go to the Yom Kippur Mosef, and we go to the Yom Kippur Mosef, we find the same story. We see a lot of notes to the Chazan over here that says the Chazan should be quiet here, the Chazan should stop here, the Chazan should wait here. We also see uh, what looks like trap, uh, different types of markings, they're not the same ones, they actually look different. In, in uh, Rosh Hashanah, it looked like Tlisha Gedoilas and Tlisha Katanas, here they look like Shal Shalasin but uh, they probably serve the same uh, function. And as well, it used to say, O mispalim el el lo yoshia. This was erased and changed to mispalim le loy yoshia. Okay, again, the reason for that difference we'll come back to later. Um, but now what I want to focus on is we look at the marginal note. And we see in cursive handwriting, uh, an unnamed individual writes a note here. And... The first word, sometimes it's not so easy to make out all of these writing, but the first word that you're kind of able, or at least that for when I looked at this, what I was able to see right away is the word Muhammad. Mem, ches, mem, dalid, mahmad, the word Muhammad is right there. And the second I saw that, right away it triggered, there's this whole Yeshu story with Aleinu, and here I have a text of Aleinu, and I have the word Muhammad next to it. Is this in some way associated with the story? Or in other words, maybe what Pesach was saying is not so crazy if I have a hand writing the name Muhammad next to the Aleinu. Well, let's read the full note to see what it says. Remember, the worms Machser once had El Eloyoshia. This was changed to Mispalim Liloyoshia. The writer here writes, I like the original version better because that is consistent with the Pasuk in Yeshaya Mem He. Then he says, Vyesh uh, Garcin on a third way of doing it. Le'el, Le'eloy. So, not el eloi, not liloi, but le eloi, vehu gematria Muhammad, and that is gematria mem ches mem dalid. So let's uh, give an overview of the three different versions that we see over here, and the advantage of each one. The original Aleinu was What is the advantage of that version? It's Lishna de Krav, that's the Lashon of the Pasuk in Yeshaya. Then we saw in the Worms Machser a change to The key difference over here is you're not saying to a God who does not save, you're just saying to, to that which does not save. I think what happened over here is at a certain point there was a discomfort with calling a foreign god a kale. That sounds a little odd. We don't do that all the time. So even though the Pasik did that, I think there was an impulse to not do that, which is why I was changed from umispalim el elo yoshia to umispalim liloi yoshia. And that's probably what happened in the Worms Machser. And so therefore the person writing on the side, and this must be a Talmud Chacham to have an opinion about Nusach matters, uh, is saying that he actually wants to restore it to its original Nusach. But then this same marginal note told us that there's a third version. And that is to say, And that is Gematria 92, because you have Le'eloi is three Lamids and two Alephs. Le'eloi, Gematria 92. Mem Ches Mem Dalid. Muhammad is Gematria 92. And so there were those who said that we should be doing this type of Girsa in order to reference Muhammad. So again, once you see this, then you realize that the allegation being made about Yeshu is not so off the wall, because if Jews and Aleinu are thinking in Gematria terms about Muhammad, then maybe they are also thinking in Gematria terms about uh, Muhammad's competitor, and that is Yeshu. But before we further explore uh, this, uh, I want to pause here and try to figure out if we know who is the author of that marginal note. Now, we know, I suggested before, that the writings come from Chazan and Worms. So the question is, there's good reason to believe, there's a circumstantial case that can be made, that this Ha'ara was also written by the Chazan and Worms because the Chazanim are the ones writing these notes. And if so, do we know of a Chazan and Worms, who was also a Talmud Chacham, who could have an opinion about Nusach matters? We do know about a Chazan and Worms who lived in the 1600s, 
And uh, we get this information from the Sefer of Minhagim, the Chilas Kodesh Varmaiza. This was written by a Yid who was born in Worms in the year 1604. His name was Rabius Pashamish. He was very into the Minhagim of this Kehila, and he wrote uh, them down, documented them. This book was never printed until the late 1980s. Very valuable for learning any information about the Kehila in Worms, definitely during the 1600s. And he writes the whole Seder over here of how the Chazin and when the Chazin for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur was selected. He himself wrote his own Hagois to the Sefer, and he writes as follows. He writes that in the year Tuf Lamed Aleph, so that would come out because we're dealing with Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, which is before January, that comes out to the year 1670. The Parnas, the Merumam, Reb Chaim, the son of Moshe Shimshin, he was the Chazin. Who is when was he the Chazen? He was a Chazen Shachris Yoyser B'Yoyim Rishin. He was a Chazen Shachris B'Yoyim Rishin. And Yom Kippur, he was the Chazen for Musaf. So again, for Rosh Hashanah, he's not the Chazen for Musaf. The Chazen Yor is the Chazen for Rosh Hashanah, the first day Shachris, which is known as Philos Yoyser, Yoyser Eruveri Cheshach, and the Yoytzeres that were associated with that. And Yom Kippur, he is the Chazen for Musaf, who is this Chayim, the son of Ramosha Shimshin, we know exactly who this is. This is the Rav of Worms at the time, who's known as the Chavaz Yor, that is the Sefer of Halacha that he wrote, and a, a very well-known figure. And the reason this footnote is presented here is because the Chiddush is that during that year of 1670, the Chavaz Yor was in Avelos for his father. And nonetheless, the Kila insisted that he should be the Chazan Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And he goes on to say that really, if this was anybody, they wouldn't have allowed it to happen because an Oval is not supposed to be a Chazan on Yom Tif. Because, however, he was such a good Chazan. And he goes on to say, he, he is Yediyas Pirish Hamachser in Kol HaKavonis. And he's a Kharif and a Baki and a Lamdan God of a Choshev. And he's great with Chazonis. He knows the Nigan of the Chazonis. That's Shayachim Liyam Neroyim. And he's a Umen Godel Ba'umnes HaChazonis. And Yesh Le'Kol Noim. Therefore, they insisted that he become the Chazan. So, if we know that the Chavis Yoyer was a Chazan in Worms, uh, is it possible to assume? And we know the Chazanim are writing uh, in the Machser. Is it crazy to suggest that the Chavis Yor is the one who wrote that Ha'ara uh, about the Girsa and Aleinu, and including the third Girsa, telling us that it's Gematria Muhammad? Um, hard to say one way or another. Until the following article was uh, published in the late, late, late uh, 1980s or early 1990s in the journal called Meiria. And this is an article written by Rabbi Yisrael Pelis. And he was doing a lot of research in Kisve Yad from the Chavis Yor. Because the Chavaz Yor wrote Ha'aris to the Menhagim of Worms, the Sefer that I mentioned before. And we have the Ksavyad Kodesh of the Chavaz Yor. The Chavaz Yor also has other works in Ksavyad that were printed in, during this period of time, late 80s, early 90s. And we'll talk more about them soon. And so this Yisrael Pelis, Rabbi Yisrael Pelis, is involved in analyzing his handwriting. And then this Yisrael Pelis looked at this Worms Machser and looked at this note and other notes as well in the margins. And what he found is that the handwriting is a perfect match for the handwriting of the Chavis Yor. And so therefore, this is no longer just a guess. Now we can actually say with close to certainty that this note about the proper Girsa and Aleinu, including the third Girsa, uh, uh, telling us about Muhammad, as a Yeshoyim He's not saying that he likes it. He's just saying that some people say that. Um, uh, that seems to come from the Chavis Yor. Now what's interesting is, if you're a halting cup, you'll remember that when it came to Rosh Hashanah Musaf, I didn't tell you there is such a marginal note. There is no marginal note about anything of this sort on the Rosh Hashanah Musaf. It's Dafka, the Yom Kippur Musaf. And now, if you also remember, what did Rabbi Yusuf Shamish tell us? Rabbi Yusuf Shamish told us that when was a Chavis Yor Chazin, Rosh Hashanah, he was only Chazin for Shachris, which means he wouldn't have been preparing and looking at the Aleinu for Musaf. It was Dafke Yom Kippur that he was the Chazan for Musaf. So it makes sense that it was Dafke there that he wrote this note about the Gematria Mahabit. And so this also helps us round out the picture of what seems to have been happening over there. The only thing I should note is the following, a small caveat to this. And that is, the Chavaz also wrote, uh, his name was, uh, before they called him Chaim, and that's true, but he, oh, he had a second name, Yor Chaim. Anyway, Yor Chaim Bachrach. 
That's how, uh, that's the, how he's generally referred to. Uh, he also left in Ksav Yad a commentary to Shulchan Aruch Erechayim. And this is known as Makar Chaim, and it was printed in the 1980s for the first time. And he writes over there that he was a chazan. He writes over there the Minhagim of how to bow. And he says that he was a chazan for Musaf, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. So here it would seem that he was also the chazan of Musaf on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and so that just, on the other hand, we know clearly that there were some years that that was not the case. So it could be that later on he also became the chazan Rosh Hashanah, Musaf uh, as well. So what we did right now is we still haven't said clearly one way or another, but suddenly we're a lot closer. Because, let's summarize what we saw. We saw a Pesach accusing the Jewish community of uh, having a man Yeshu during the tefillah of Aleinu. And then I showed you a callboy, extremely cryptic, it seems like material uh, was taken out from there, and that was one smoking gun. And now I showed a second smoking gun, and where some people are talking about a gematria of Muhammad, and so therefore we can build a pretty strong circumstantial case that the accusation against the Jewish community at the time was in fact an accurate one, that they were having Yeshu in mind, number one, and number two, that this Yeshu was similar to the Muhammad, that just like the Muhammad was the founder of the uh, religion that was known at the time, uh, that so too the Yeshu was uh, the founder of a religion that was known at the time, not some obscure different Yeshu, but the uh, Yeshu, uh, a, a strong circumstantial case can be made. Uh, however, we can't say that we have 100% evidence yet, and that brings us to the next and final piece uh, to this puzzle. There's a work from one of the Rishonim from Ashkenaz, whose name was Avram ben Rebbe Zriel, and he wrote a Sefer, a Sefer Halacha, a Sefer on the Siddur, uh, includes also Pirushim to the Piyutim, and uh, this Sefer is called Arugas Haboisa. This Sefer was never printed until 1963. There are two manuscripts that survive, and Ephraim Orbach published these. One of them was from the Vatican, and he has a commentary on Aleinu. And he says as follows, Shamaiti shekach yesh varik. The right way to do it is to say lehevel varik. Now this is a problem because the normal way in Ashkenaz at the time I showed before was to say lehevel varik. So the assumption here is that this is a typo. Uh, it's a, it really needs to be lehevel vilarik. He's coming to say a chiddush that although the norm is to say lehevel varik. I'm coming and saying a chiddush that you should say lahevel vilarik. And why? Gematria yeshu umachmat. It's gematria yeshu yud shin vav. And Muhammad here is spelled mem ches mem tes. Not a dalit at the end, but a tes at the end. Yeshu machmat. So if you're keeping score at home, that comes out to 413. And indeed, lahevel vilarik with that Lamed that I think he intends to say over here, comes out to 413. And so now we're, uh, we're, we're, we're hearing uh, that all of a sudden this uh, saying, Varik, Gematria Yeshu, is not so off the wall anymore. And uh, because we see from Mamish this period in time, a work that was composed uh, around 1234 is when it's assumed that Arugas Abaysam wrote his work. We see that some people said that you should sh- say Lahevel Vilarik. Don't say Varik. Varik only gets you Yeshu. But you should say Lahevel Vilarik and it gets you Yeshu and Muhammad, and that's better because you're negating more. And, uh, and so now this is much, much more than a smoking gun. And with this information, we can now come back to that enigmatic passage in the Kolboy, and let's read what he was saying over there. Remember, he said, Aleinu is gematria uma uma. They got to stand up. Then let's read it as follows. Varik bigamatria, right? What word is missing here? We know. The word that's missing here is bigamatria yeshu. Varik is 316, is gematria yeshu. Then the text continues. Le'el loy bigamatria Muhammad. And we talk saw that. Rather than saying from the Chavis Yor, it's Gematria Muhammad. That's what the cowboy was trying to write over here. Then it goes, Don't say, Say, Add that extra Lamed in. And then it ended, right? But you should continue and add the missing words. Yeshu and Muhammad. Yeshu Muhammad. And so basically there were three different ways of referring to the other religions that were prevalent at the time and that are still prevalent today. 
One was just worry about Christianity, and that varik gets you the gematria of Yeshu. Another was just worrying about uh, a, a, a gematria that's dedicated to Muhammad, and that's le'eloi. So you get both of them. You say shemesh takan lehevel varik then you get both of them. Another way of getting both of them is in the words themselves without anything further. If you add the Lamed in, then you get Yeshu or Muhammad 413. And so with that, it turns out that this was absolutely true. That it seems that, I don't know, we can say all Jews, but many Jews, when they were saying Aleinu uh, during the medieval uh, period, were having in mind uh, the competing religions. When they said the words, they had that in mind. The accusation was not a false accusation, but a true accusation. Uh, obviously the rabbis then, and perhaps today, need to do what they need to do in order to ensure the well-being of the Jewish community, but um, this is something that becomes clear from the sources that we're looking at. Now, uh, with this background, we may be able to understand uh, something quite interesting about the famous incident that happened in the year 1171 in Blois. We spoke about this in the class on Chaf Sivan and the history of that day. In short, Jews were accused of uh, killing an innocent uh, uh, a child in order to put blood in matzah. This is the first blood libel on continental Europe, excluding uh, what happened in England. And the, uh, this is in the year 1171. That leads to the tightness of Chaf Sivan. If you read the Sefer Xeris Ashkenaz Sarfas, which has the medieval account of this uh, episode, uh, this Sefer was printed in Tavshin Vav, uh, in this uh, account, it says that when these Jews, these innocent Jews, uh, when they were uh, killed, and they were killed by being burnt, uh, burnt alive in a, in a house, uh, it, it says that they started singing Aleinu L'Shabeach. And you need to wonder, from all songs, why they sing Aleinu L'Shabeach. And we may have our answer now. Uh, the Jews were offered a chance to convert to Christianity, and that would save their lives. Uh, so this is on their mind. And so the prayer that says, no, that's vanity, that Yeshu is not the answer, that's what's on their minds, they just refuse that to save their own lives, I think that adds a context to why they would have, from all uh, songs, sing the tefillah of Aleinu, uh, of Aleinu L'Shabeach. Now, Nita, uh, say a, a few more important things before we uh, close out this year. And that is, I mentioned before, the Makar Chaim, the Chavis Yor, Rabbi Yor Chaim Bachrach, he quoted on the side of the master that some people say that you should say le'eloi to get you the gematria of Muhammad. But he himself, if you read the note carefully, he said that he prefers el-eloi yeshia. He wants to go to Lashon HaPasuk. Um, so, in other words, he's not a big fan of this gematria thing. And the truth is, we learn more about that from his Pirish Makar Chaim. When we look at his Pirish Makar Chaim and Hilchas Tfilah Simen Kof Lamed Beis, he brings that some people say you should say Le'el because it's Gematria Muhammad. But then he says, I want to tell you why this doesn't really add up and it doesn't make sense. He says, he quotes the Rambam's Egeres Teman. The Rambam in Egeres Teman is dealing there with the fact that the Jewish community was dealing with a big crisis and they were being forced uh, to convert to Islam. And uh, one of the things that the Muslims did is they brought from the Pasuk, when the Pasuk speaks about Yishmol, it says... Uh, Hashem says about Yishmal that he will become abundant and some people took those two words and if you take those two words it's Gematria 92 and some people said oh that's a uh, that shows you that the bracha of Yishmal applies to Muhammad and so here now the Torah uh, God forbid is alluding to, uh, to Muhammad and they're using that and that's uh, the real part of the God forbid they're using that as a justification to say that it's okay for Jews to convert to Islam. So the Rambam responded to this, and he said that it's such nonsense. And interestingly, what's his point? His point is that if you know Islam well, his name isn't Muhammad, Mem Ches Mem Dalid. His name is Ahmad. And he says that if you read their writings, this becomes very clear. And so that undermines the entire uh, Gematria scheme. I don't know enough about uh, the history of Islam to be able to comment on that. But what the Chavis Yor does 
is he says, so if the Rambam is right, then this whole gematria here doesn't make sense, and so uh, uh, that's why he likes the Lashon HaKasu. So he's consistent. What he writes here in Makar Chaim is consistent with what uh, the implication of his marginal note. It's still interesting that he, both here and there he brings the tradition, uh, uh, but he prefers, uh, he personally prefers to negate it. He then goes on in the same piece to say, um, that uh, he's also not a fan of this, uh, uh, of this, ye- of this, um, uh, it's, let me read the text and then we'll see clearly. It says, V'yesh o'imrim, gam varik gematria. That the word varik is a gematria. Okay, we know what happened here. He didn't write it out. Because the ksav yad, Kodesh, doesn't have the word. Uh, but he chose not to write it out. But uh, clearly, varik was yeshu. But he says, he's also not a fan of that. V'ein lanu l'chapes hacher gematria. Don't do it. Why? Moshev Yekare is going to show us. Remember, I said before that these Machsoidim originally said Moshev Yekare, and then they were changed to Vichisei Kvoidai. Why were they changed? So the Chavis Yor here is pointing to the problem. What's the Gematria of Yekare? The Gematria of Yekare is 316. If you're going to say that Varik refers to Yeshu, then Moshev Yekare could, God forbid, refer to Yeshu as well. We don't want that. And this bothered Jews earlier in the 1200s, 1300s. And that's why they amended the text, changing it from a Moshe of Yekarai to Chisei Sometimes even putting that in the original text of the Maxim, written in the early 1300s. In other words, it kind of snowballed. It began by a gematria. I don't know that we know exactly when it began, but it began with a gematria of Yeshu or Muhammad or both of them or Yeshu and Muhammad, whatever it was. But once that took on a life or its own, all of a sudden people realized, oh yeah, you want to say that about Yeshu too? And so they changed the text of the Lenu in order to deal with that particular problem. Says Achavis Yar, let's just cut out this Gematria game. Let's end it. Cypher Muhammad, he doesn't like it because of the Geras Teman. Cypher Yeshu, he doesn't like it because of Moshev Yekare. He says, let's move away from this. Fine. So he's writing this in the 1600s. And we could see here a push from Agal to Yisrael to say, let's cut out this whole scheme in the 1600s. But the evidence does suggest that in 1390, when Pesach spoke, this was not the case. And, um, and uh, Pesach's accusation was an accurate type of accusation. Okay, now in order to close out our shir, let's now talk about the Nusach of Chabad for uh, dealing with uh, this particular passage uh, in Aleinu. Because what happened basically is that as when printing began in Aleinu, most of the printings, I can't say all, but most of the printings just said and jumped to Vanachno Koirim, and this is how most of these Sidurim and Machzorim were printed. What about Chabad? The first print of Alter Rebbe Sidur uh, is assumed to be in the year 1802 in Shklov. And a few years ago, this is one copy in the world remaining in the Rebbe Rashab's collection that is today in Moscow. A few years ago, they uploaded this online so we could read it today. And we go to Aleinu in the weekday davening and we see it says, period, So, very similar to how other Sidurim are done. However, what's interesting here is that Aleinu does not only appear once in the Alter Rebbe Siddur, it appears a second time, this in the Musif for Rosh Hashanah. And here also says, And it goes on to say, But you look well over here, you actually see that there are two parenthesis marks. First, a left parenthesis mark, then a right parenthesis mark, and these two marks are between and So when I look at this, I assume this is a simon for the reader that there are additional words here that have to be added in. And indeed, this was not unusual. I looked at two other Sidurim printed around the time of the Alter Rebbe. Seder Tfilis Mekalashana, Amsterdam, 1725. Seder Tfilis London, 1772. These are just two that were easily accessible. And Vegeraleinu Kachalamoinam, between that and Vanachnu Koinim, where the text is missing, there's a star, there's a circle, there's some sort of uh, uh, indicator here telling the reader with no information but telling the reader there's other words that were removed. It seems that the Alter Rebbe was doing the same here in his original Siddur, uh, giving you two parenthesis marks uh, telling you that there's additional words that need to be added here. What exactly those are he doesn't tell us but he's alluding to this. Why does he do it only in the Musafa Rosh Hashanah and not in the everyday Shachris? So either 
uh, he intended to do it in both and it just didn't end up happening. Uh, maybe it's a printer's error or maybe every day uh, doesn't matter. Rosh Hashanah is more important and that's when the Altar Rebbe wanted us to make sure to get this text perfectly right. When we move forward and look at the Torah Ur Sidurim, we see here, and this is how the Torah Ur Sidurim, like most Sidurim printed in the world, were, uh, were handled at the time. Not, not even a simon indicating that anything uh, was removed. So what is the Minik Chabad Taka uh, of what should be said? So Laufid Grebe has a letter. This letter was written in Tezayin Shvat, Tafresh, Tzadik Beis, it's the beginning of 1932 to a man named Rabbi Yisrael. It's printed in the Igris Kodesh. And this person says, he's asking about Aleinu. So the Fidi Gerber writes, You want to know about So what is the Minik Chabad to do? We follow the first version, which is, So there's two Chidushim here. We do not continue and say the second clause that originally was there, Umaspalim, El Lil none of those uh, three versions do we say. But we do say not Varik, which is the original one that has that gamatria of 316, that's gamatriation. No, those two. Now we remember Lahavilarik still has a gamatria. Uh, that we spoke about, um, that we spoke about before. Lehavel Vilarik together is Gematria four hundred thirteen Yeshua Muhammad. Though I'm not saying by any stretch that that is the intention or that that's the kavana. I'm just pointing out that that happens to be a reality. And the Fidik Rebbe goes on to say, and we don't continue and say Umispalim, etc. This is what the Fidik Rebbe wrote. The Rebbe has a Rishima of the summer of Tafrei Sadik Zayin, where uh, the Fidik Rebbe tells the Rebbe as follows: I asked. The Rebbe Rashab about spitting uh, at Aleinu, uh, and he said that the reason why we spit at Aleinu is because from the speech we generate saliva, and we don't want to benefit from that saliva. And the Shalah discusses this uh, issue, and uh, this is what the Rebbe writes in this particular uh, Rishima. So here comes the second idea, a minig that's already mentioned by the Taz. Sources in the 1600s talk about this minig about uh, spitting by Aleinu. And uh, here we're learning that uh, this is part of the Nusach, uh, uh, this is part of the Menhage uh, Chabad as well, and it's given, uh, the, a reason is given here. Now, I've always wondered about this. Uh, there are other times in Davening when we speak about negativity, uh, including allude to idol worship, and yet there isn't a concern of not wanting to benefit from that Rukh. Uh, does this, is it possible to say that that maybe has to do with this Gematria story? That precisely because uh, there is these allusions in these words to other things that maybe it makes these words more offensive to us. And I don't know. I'm just throwing that out as a, as a possibility. Uh, in terms of the reference to the Shalah, when they printed the Rishimis, they noted that they never found a Shalah supporting the custom of spitting. In fact, the Shalah in the Sefer Emek Bracha, which is his father's Sefer, uh, the Shalah writes a Ha'ara over here, and he writes that he's not a fan of the spitting at Elenu, he doesn't think this is good for Jewish and Gentile uh, relations. He also writes, interestingly, Elenu has nothing to do with them. Elenu has nothing to do with them, because it was written by Yeshua, Yeshua had nothing to do with Christianity, he's talking about Avedah Zarah, so why are we mixing in with the people today? And so therefore he doesn't like the idea of the spitting, he also says it looks like they're spitting by the words of Anachnu Koyrim. This is the Ha'ara of the Shalah, uh, to the Sefer Emek Bracha. What's interesting is he's relatively speaking contemporary with the Chavis Yar. We saw the Chavis Yar pushing back against the Gematria scheme, saying no, let's not do that. And we see something similar here where the Shalah is saying, it's talking about the pagans and Yeshua and, um, and, and we shouldn't have, uh, we shouldn't be uh, uh, thinking about uh, the contemporary people around us. But the bottom line is that both of these pieces, the piece of the Rishimis and the piece from the letter, both become the Minin Chabad as written by the Rebbe in the Hayom Yom of Tes Tevis, where he first says what the Nusach is. He says the Nusach is and we don't say anything further. And then he says the meaning of spitting and the reason that we spoke about before. And so this is the meaning of Chabad. Now, the question that I want to deal with, and this will mamish be the end of the year, is why is this Hayom Yom on Tes Tevis? We know, uh, and there's a lot of uh, good examples of this, that when the Rebbe puts specific items on specific days, very, very often we're able to find out and learn that there's a deeper reason and connection between the concept 
and the day. And as I'm going to show you, that's going to be true over here for Tess Teves as well. So let's have a look. There is a simon in Shulchan Aruch, Eirechayim Simen Tov Kuf Pei, that comes from the tour in Eirechayim Tov Kuf Pei, that really comes from the Halachas Gdolis, which is from the period of the Goinim, and it lists an entire list of fasts over there. And this is the Lashen of the Baal Halachas Gdolis. Elu yamim shenis anim bahem These are days that we're supposed to fast min And it goes on to say, for example, on Ches Nisan, Shnei Bnei Aaron Nodem and Aviu passed away, so there should be a fast. On Yud Nisan, uh, Miriam Hanavia passed away, and so there should be a fast. On Chavav si, uh, Nisan, Yeshua Benun passed away, and there should be a fast. And this, he continues, he also includes fasts that are very well known, like Tzayim Gedalia, and Asara Beteves, and Shiva Asara Betamas in here, in this list. But there's also many other lists, many other items that are mentioned here, most of them being yard sites. Obviously, uh, the, the, the second anyone saw this text, the question was, what does it mean? There's a biblical chiyuv. Uh, even Shiva Asabatamos is not a biblical chiyuv. How much more so Ches uh, Nisan or, or, or dates like that? And interestingly, when the tour, excuse me, when the tour quotes this Lashon, uh, uh, he quotes it like this. So right away, the Beis Yosef, the Beis of Karon, his Pirush on the tour writes, it's called Minatayra, Loimar Sheish Lizar Bahem Kamoishal Toira. You have to be careful in it, Kamoishal Toira. Even that is a little share. Why would you need to be careful like that? There's a reason things are Minatayra, there's a reason things are Midarabana. Also, the reality is that no one is careful uh, in all of these fasts in the same way like a fast uh, Minatayra. In fast, most uh, of these aren't observed. But that's not the main thing that we need to discuss now. What we need to discuss is when it comes to Test Teves. Remember, Test Teves is the day that the Rebbe uh, decided to put the information about Aleinu under test teves. So, every day, the Baal told us the date, followed by what happened on that day. Here, what do we get? B'tisha boy of teves, loy kosu rabbi seinu al-mahu. The rabbis didn't tell us what it is. So there's a fast, and we don't know what this fast is about. This is the only one where we're not given information about what this fast is. Now, some of the Mepharshim say, oh, well, it must be that uh, Ezra passed away on that day. Yeah, but he goes on to say that after. So clearly, that's not what he's talking about when he says, It's separate from the day Ezra. And if it was only that Ezra passed away on that day, then he would have just said that on Betisha Boy, Ezra passed away. Uh, something is very mysterious about this text where it says, uh, there, was, there is a fast on the 9th of Teves, which turns into then, if you're doing that, it turns into two days consecutively. He actually has over here also Ches Teves. He has a, a fast for the day that the Torah was translated into Greek. But anyway, what is the date of Tes Teves? Well, let's go back to the end of the 11th century, when you had a Yid who lived in Barcelona, whose name was Rabbi Avram Berchia Hanasi. And he wrote a Sefer on the Jewish calendar that is called Sefer Ibur. And this Sefer was in Kaviad for a very long time, printed relatively late in the history of printing. And he writes over there as follows. He's talking about the non-Jewish calendar. He was comparing it to the Jewish calendar. And he starts talking about uh, how the, the Christian calendar is set up. And he starts talking about uh, that they count from the day that they think their founder was born. And he goes on to say, he was born, and he gives a year, that's the Jewish, from the year of creation, 3,761, the 25th of December, that's what they claim, and then he says, when does that come out in the Jewish calendar? So Rebbe Avram says, comes out to be Shabbos, the 9th of Tevis is the day that it comes out. If that is true, it's a good day. It's good that he was born on that day. He doesn't explain what does he mean by that. Why is it a good day? Tisha uh, B'teves, I don't know. Uh, uh, but he goes on to say, No one believes in that they really know when he was born. No one really believes in that it was the 25th of December. And he goes on to say, It doesn't say it in the Gospels or things like that. 
And on the early church fathers, it doesn't say anything about them. And so he goes on to say that really it was a day that was a pagan holiday and the Christians just appropriated it and goes on to say that we don't really believe them that this is the day. However, however, this already plants a seed. That their argument was that he was born on Testaves. And what if you disagree with what Rabbi Avram Barabhi says? And what if you say, you know what, I do believe them about it? Then that all of a sudden would make the Allah's Gedolis make sense that a fast was declared on Test Teves for that particular day. And indeed, we know that at least some Jews throughout history did accept this particular claim. There is a safer printed in 1710 on Megillus Tainus. Megillus Tainus is a work that comes from uh, the, the era of the Tanoim, listing the different, uh, the day, different days that it was forbidden to, to fast or to make a hespid. A commentary was written in the late 1600s, or early 1700s, by a rabbi named Rabbi Yehuda Leib, the son of Menachem. He was the Dayan in Krochen. And this commentary that he wrote is Toysus Chadoshim. And uh, Megillus Tainus at the end has this simon uh, of, uh, from the Baalalachs Gedolus, it was added in, of all these uh, fasts that, were, uh, that we spoke about before. And so he, the Toysus Chadoshim, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, printed in 1710, says, about 9th of Tevis, we don't know what it is. But he writes, V'shamayti b'shein gadolecha da'oz noilad oisayoish. I heard that that's when he was born. So in other words, there were Jews who accepted this claim that he was born then, despite Reb Avram Barabhiya's protest that uh, he doesn't believe them. There were others who did believe them. And this w- does seem, and this would add up with the fact that we have this mysterious fast day that they didn't even want to tell us what it's about, uh, would also go uh, to suggest that there was at least a, 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 a desire to accept uh, what Rabbi Avram Barabhi say, at the very least to say, even if we don't accept it, but we need to choose one day, so let's choose their day uh, as being the fast. So again, even if you're not mamish accepting what historically happened, but if they chose that day, then that's enough for us to say that it should be a fast on that particular day. This Taisus Chadashim was very well known. It was printed multiple times. Uh, and I think that would explain the reason why the Rebbe put this on Testaves. So in other words, Testaves, what I'm trying to say here is that the Rebbe seems to be bringing it back into the anti-Christian tone. Because that's the only reason to put it on Testaves. Testaves is a tainus. Why? Because that's the day that the Christian founder was born. Lidaitam. Given that Aleinu has a history of, uh, in one way or another, negating uh, uh, Christianity uh, with the Gematria, so maybe that's a reason for... uh, for uh, the, uh, on, about the nusach, especially about those key words of Villarik, and uh, especially about uh, spitting. And remember, I said before that maybe the spitting becomes all the more necessary, specifically because it isn't idol worship in the abstract, but something very known and odious to to, to Jews who are living at the, uh, and, and and thinking about uh, this other uh, religion. And uh, that may be why this ends up uh, testavis. Of course, there's a lot of speculation in what I'm just saying, but I think the pieces kind of come together in uh, this way. So we began, Elaine Lushabayat begins with a text that, uh, that probably is not in its original intent uh, talking about Christians, but what we do find is that at a certain time, uh, Jews did start thinking about other religions. The Gematria scheme was a reality. In 1390, this turned into a problem. That led to the erasures in the Machzorim that we saw before, and eventually the censorship in the printing as well. We saw some pushback from Delius around the 1600s saying, this is not something that they're uh, uh, really interested in. But then we see that it looks like in the Chabad uh, story, in addition to discussing what the Nusach is and what we do, uh, there does seem to be some linkage, some echo of this, uh, of this um, uh, anti-Christian polemic in the Chabad custom, or at least in the Chabad Hayyim uh, Yoyim, where we have this passage placed, Dafka uh, on Testaves. Other things have been written about the day Testaves, that's not the purpose here. My feeling is that this is what the Rebbe had in mind uh, when, uh, when he placed it on that day. I want to conclude with the following. The Bach discusses the fact that the minig became to say Aleinu L'Shabeach at the end of every single tefillah. It's the last thing we do in Shul before we go out to the world. The Bach writing in Erechaim Simen Kuflam and Gimel writes as follows. Hata, 
Before we go home, we need to entrench in our hearts. Make it strong. Although all Jews have interactions, after Shachris, you're going into the marketplace, you're going to be dealing with people who have very different belief systems. And they're matzliach, very often that they're doing well off. And so there could be a thought, you know something? They have life better, maybe I should join them. No, so we say, So in other words, Aleinu for the Bach is not some prayer about old pagans. Aleinu for the Bach is something that we say every day in order to remind ourselves and to talk about ourselves and to say, I know that what they're dealing with is very successful, but I'm with what's true. And if so, I think this would explain the impulse to do these gematrias. In other words, Jews wanted this tefillah to talk to themselves, like the Bach is saying it should. And so they were like, yeah, Yeshu and Muhammad, I know that they're wealthier, and I know that they are living more free, but that is Lahevel Vilarik, that is La Yoshia. And, 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 by, and, by, and by adding those uh, gematrias, they were making this tefillah more relevant to them, allowing it to talk to them and to inspire them and to help uh, keep them uh, on the proper path. And if this is correct, then I think we need to ask ourselves the following question today. What is today's Lahevel? What is today's Varik? And maybe we should make our own Gematria. For whatever is presumed to be the most uh, tempting thing that uh, causes us to sometimes have a Machsheves Chutz, or sometimes to adopt a non-Jewish way of thinking about the world, and Lavdavke comes from something that identifies as a religion. And uh, these could come from other places as well. And part of Aleinu is to call that out. Part of Aleinu is to say that I'm going to stand up to that as well. And that will allow us, Taka, to be uh, truer Jews, just like our ancestors uh, tried being truer Jews uh, living in Europe.